Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. Well, good morning. Well, I am honored and excited uh, to have the opportunity to share with you today. And when Trevor first uh, invited me to share during Lent, I said, I only have one condition. Uh, It's an Anglican church. I'd like to wear a robe. (laughs) So as you can see, he called my bluff. Um, But I'm I'm excited nonetheless. And um, we have a pretty full text this morning. Um, In both our Old Testament and gospel readings today, we find people who are thirsty. The Israelites are thirsty. Jesus is thirsty. The woman at the well is thirsty. By this point, you might even be thirsty. Um, In both of these texts, we have thirsty people who are ultimately satisfied by supernatural water. Uh, Earlier this week, at our family dinner table, Um, Our boys, similar to the Israelites in this passage, were doing a little bit of grumbling and complaining. And so I thought, um, you know, I've been working on these texts this week. This would be a great opportunity to give uh, a pastoral admonition uh, to my boys. And so after dinner, we read the Exodus 17 passage, and I began to ask them some questions. And I I asked, boys, um, you know, you have the Israelites in this passage, and they're really thirsty, Um, and they're grumbling and complaining, do you guys think they deserve a drink of water? And uh, they're pretty smart, and they say no. Um, Which, by the way, I love Moses' prayer in that text. He says, Lord, what am I supposed to do with these people? They're ready to kill me. They're ready to stone me. Any pastor or leader has prayed some variation of that prayer at some point, except probably Trevor, because um, we're we're pretty good, right? Um, So my boys say, no, they, they don't deserve it. And I say, well, well, what does God do for them in response? And our five-year-old, Miles, kind of surprisingly, he says, he gives them water. He gives them water. Now, no one in this scene deserved a drink of water, and yet God gives it to them. God satisfies them. Well, what do we call, what do we call this as people of faith? What do we call when someone receives something that they do not deserve? Yeah, the word we have for that is grace, this unmerited favor. God gives the Israelites water, not because they deserve it, but because God the Father is gracious. And in our gospel text, we see Jesus extending supernatural water to a woman, not because she somehow earned it, but because Jesus is gracious. We're in this season of Lent where we are reminded of our thirst. We're reminded that we are thirsty people. But the season of Lent also brings us face-to-face with our need of grace. And so this morning, we're going to look deeper at Jesus' interaction with this woman at the well and how in it, Jesus demonstrates that our need of grace is both exposed by and satisfied by Jesus. And I want to suggest that Jesus expresses grace to this woman in at least three ways. There's many different ways, but we're going to look at three this morning. And so, will you pray with me, and then we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this place that we have to gather today. I think of even the gospel text that we read, that 
we don't have to worship on a mountain. We don't have to worship uh, in, in a specific building. We can worship even in an elementary school gymnasium because what it's about is worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And so we just come before you this morning uh, desiring to worship you in spirit and truth. I pray that in these few moments you would just quiet our hearts and that you would prepare us to receive from you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive from you. Lord Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Anoint me to bring the good news that you have for your church today. Pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Jesus expresses grace to this woman in at least three ways. The first is this. Jesus challenges our mindset and breaks our boundaries. Challenges our mindset and breaks our boundaries. Let's read again John 4, verses 5 through 9. Um, It's on page 889 in my Bible, um, (laughs) but page 1349 in the chair Bibles. Um, So John 4, 5 through 9. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, right off the bat, this story, which on the surface can seem kind of boring, it's Jesus, he's, uh, he's taken a break from a long journey, he's tired, he's at this well, there's a woman who comes to draw water, he asks her for a drink. Doesn't seem all that compelling, but already this story is dripping with controversy and scandal and grace. See, what Jesus is doing here right off the bat is he's breaking some pretty strong and long-held boundaries. The first boundary that we see Jesus breaking is a social boundary. You see, in those days, Jewish men, especially noble Jewish men, such as a rabbi, would not be caught one-on-one with a woman. They would avoid being by a woman uh, just by themselves. And if they happened to be, they certainly wouldn't talk to them. They certainly wouldn't engage them in conversation. In fact, one of the sages of the day had this to say about this boundary. He said, he that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of the law and at the last will inherit Gehenna. Gehenna is another word for hell. So that escalated quickly. (laughs) He that talks much with womankind could end up in hell. So this is a boundary that Jesus is breaking. The second boundary is a religious boundary. Not only was Jesus talking to a woman, he was talking to a woman from Samaria. Now, in our 21st century Western culture, we think of the word Samaritan very differently than the Jews did in that day. I mean, if you refer to someone as a good Samaritan, that's a positive thing. Usually that means this is a person who helps others in need. In fact, there's organizations such as Samaritan's Purse will come and do relief work for areas and people that have been ravaged by disaster. Well, in Jesus' day to the Jews, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan, which is why Jesus told the parable the way he did. 
You see, when the Jews returned from Babylon after exile and they came back into their land, they found that this other group had come in, in this region that was called Samaria, and they claimed that they were the descendants of Abraham. And so there was some animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, so much so that the Jews hated Samaritans, and they avoided them at all possible costs. They considered themselves insiders and the Samaritans outsiders. And yet, what do we see Jesus doing here? First of all, he's not avoiding Samaria. If you were to look at a map, the journey from Judea to Galilee, uh, the most direct route would be through Samaria. So that would make sense. But most of the time, if Jews were making that journey, they would actually go the long way. They'd go around Samaria just to avoid these people. Well, on this occasion, Jesus and his disciples, they go right through. And then he begins talking to a Samaritan woman. And if that's not audacious enough, he asks her for a drink, which means he would have to handle the very vessel that she was carrying. And Samaritans were considered to be unclean. And so if Jesus handled the same vessel that this Samaritan woman did, that would mean that he would be ritually unclean. And it's for these reasons that the woman is a little surprised by Jesus' request. How is it that you, a Jew, would ask me, a Samaritan, for something to drink? And John anecdotally just says Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's another boundary that Jesus seems to be breaking. It's a moral boundary. The text tells us that this is going on at the sixth hour, which would be about noon. This would have been the hottest time of the day when the desert sun was blazing hot. Typically, when women would go to draw water, they'd go in groups And they'd typically go either early in the morning or in the evening when it was a little bit cooler. You only went in the middle of the day if you wanted to avoid others, if you didn't want to be seen. See, this woman, as we find out later in the story, she has a bit of a past. She has a reputation. She's the kind of person that others would refer to as a sinner. So here we have a woman, a Samaritan, and a sinner. And yet Jesus begins to interact with her. Why? Like, why is Jesus behaving this way? Because grace exposes and breaks down our boundaries. When we encounter Jesus, he begins to mess with our mind. I remember being a 15-year-old teenager and beginning to read scripture and being introduced to Jesus. and, And my mind was just all over the place. All of a sudden, I started thinking about the world in different ways started thinking about my life in different ways. I had to wrestle with these new ideas and this this person that was calling me to a new way of living. When we discover Jesus and the grace that he offers, it challenges our inward mindset, our traditionally held understanding of who insiders and outsiders are. Jesus is showing this woman and he's showing us he does not play by the same rules that the world does. Jesus is the great boundary breaker. And if we're following Jesus, as the church, we are his body, which means we are called to break boundaries as well. And the issue with that is history shows that we have a human preoccupation with protecting our boundaries. And the source of this is what? It's just good old-fashioned fear. Fear of contamination. Fear of the other. Fear of the unknown fear of losing some sense of privilege. Jesus, however, 
is not preoccupied with boundaries, nor is he motivated by fear. Jesus is preoccupied with grace, and he's motivated by love. And when we are preoccupied with grace and we're motivated by love, all of a sudden we see the line between insiders and outsiders begin to blur. I'm tremendously grateful for the ways that City of Light uh, is practicing this. Um, I, I'm tremendously grateful that on Good Friday we're going to take up this offering for world relief. And that last week we heard more about the refugee crisis. But why do we care about this? Some of you are probably just genuinely good people. Um, I think oftentimes if Eric was not following Jesus, he probably would not be that kind of a person. He probably would not have that much of an outward mindset. Why do we care about these things? It's because we're motivated by love. We're motivated by grace. We care about the things that Jesus cares about. We realize the importance of breaking down boundaries and that with Jesus, there are not insiders and outsiders. But we need to even go further. What about the boundaries, the barriers, the walls that exist in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our families? What are the barriers that exist in our hearts? What small thinking is Jesus exposing in you? And what boundary might he be calling you to cross or to break down? First thing that we see from Jesus here is he challenges our mindset and he breaks our boundaries. The second way that Jesus expresses grace to this woman and to us is Jesus satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. Jesus satisfies the deepest longing of our souls. See, Jesus doesn't break boundaries and challenge mindset just for the sake of challenging mindsets and breaking down boundaries. We all like know people like that who always just want to challenge everything that we say and just challenge our thinking. There's no really redemptive you know, reason behind that other than just, they're just a jerk. Um, Jesus breaks our boundaries because he's inviting us into a bigger world. He's inviting us into a new way of thinking and a new way of living. This is what he has for this woman. And this is what he has for us as well. And so Jesus responds to her. He said, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked me for water. And I would have given you living water. Well, the Greek for this literally is the equivalent of what we would call running or fresh water. Think of spring water, water that's flowing in a river. It's the opposite of stagnant water that sits at the bottom of a well. And so naturally, the woman's response shows that she's interpreting Jesus literally. I mean, I think her response is pretty fair. She says, hey, um, last time I checked, you don't even have a bucket? You ask me for water? This well is over 100 feet deep? Where are you going to find this living water? But in John's gospel, Father Trevor uh, hit on this a little bit last week. In John's gospel, we have to always read Jesus on two different levels. Okay? Jesus is often talking in such a way that we might interpret physically, tangibly, literally. But often Jesus means it in such a way that's spiritually or heavenly. And so, for example, last week we looked at Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, and he talks about this idea of being born again or being born from above. And how does Nicodemus respond? I'm an old man. Am I supposed to, like, climb back into my mother's womb and be born again? Um, what are you talking about here? Obviously, Jesus is speaking on a spiritual level. And the same is true here with this woman. 
So Jesus responds, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So when Jesus is talking about living water, he's talking about this idea of eternal life. This life in the kingdom of God. A kingdom that's marked by love, joy, peace, and justice. And Jesus is saying this living water is on offer today. A few verses later, Jesus says, the hour is coming and has come. God's kingdom has arrived. So often when I hear people talk about eternal life, it's like something they get to experience after they die. No, eternal life for those who are in Christ begins today. It becomes the present. Jesus is bringing the future into the present. He's bringing it here now. We get to experience life in the kingdom today. It's interesting, a few chapters later, Jesus returns to this idea of living water. In John 7, verses 37 through 39, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. So maybe you're thinking, well, I'm kind of confused. Uh, Is living water eternal life, or is it the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. It means that we are invited into this life with God that's animated by the power of the Holy Spirit, a life that begins now and continues throughout eternity. What some have called this here, but not yet kingdom. This is the invitation that Jesus gives this woman. It's the invitation that he gives us. And I love the woman's response. She says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And clearly, she still doesn't completely understand what Jesus is saying. She wants what he's offering. And isn't that often true for us? We don't fully understand what Jesus is up to. But we want it. We want him. See, the truth is, many of us, we find ourselves like this woman. We're going from well to well, looking to be satisfied, but still coming away thirsty. This woman was looking to have her physical thirst quenched. And as we see later in the story, she has some relational issues, and she's looking to be satisfied in all the wrong places. And in many ways, we find ourselves in need. But the truth is, our needs are deeper than we think they are. They're way beneath the surface. I'll give you an example of this. Um, Several years ago, when Becky and I first moved to this area, uh, we were part of a church plant. And, um, you know, you guys may not realize this, but when you start a church, there's usually little to no money. Um, And so we didn't have a lot of money. And we were new to the area. We didn't know a lot of people. And so we hadn't been out uh, on a date in a while. And so finally, we had someone who who offered to watch our kids and gave us some money to go out for a nice dinner. And so we went to a restaurant called The Melting Pot. Some of you are probably familiar with this restaurant. And some of you are probably big fans. Um, That's okay. Um, For for those of you who, um, who aren't familiar with The Melting Pot, it's one of these fondue places, okay? So you go and you sit down at the table, and they, they bring out, first of all, like this bowl of cheese. Um, now, I grew up in Wisconsin, so I love cheese. Uh, 
you know, and you can dip bread in it, you know, whatever else at the table, vegetables, I'll just dip my fingers in it. Um, and then the main course is they bring out um, this broth and then these little pieces of meat that you can cook in the broth. And I remember when the waitress brings out these pieces of meat, thinking to myself, that's it? Like just these little pieces, this is the entree or is this an appetizer? Like, is this all you can eat? Can you keep bringing it? And uh, so we, we, and then I'm like, I have to cook it myself? Um, I could have stayed home to do that. Um, and our fatal flaw is Becky's allergic to caffeine, so we didn't do the chocolate. I didn't get to experience the chocolate. But I remember here we had dressed up, we'd gone out in this nice meal, had high expectations. And whenever I go out to eat, very romantic, I kind of approach it as like this cost-benefit thing. Um, you know, if, if I don't have to pay a lot and I walk out feeling satisfied, good experience. If I have to pay a lot and I walk out unsatisfied, bad experience. And I remember walking out that night after dropping like $75, $80 on a couple pieces of meat. I remember saying to Becky, can we go to Chipotle? And I was just so hungry. Now that's funny when we think about going out for dinner. But the reality is most of us live our lives that way. We go seeking after these things to satisfy us that ultimately leave us still thirsty, still hungry, still in need. What are the wells that you're drawing from and still coming away unsatisfied? I, I thought of a few this past week. For some, it's the well of wealth, the well of money. If I just had a little bit more money, then I'd be satisfied. If I could just get that job that pays this amount, then we'll be happy. You guys know the saying, right? How much money is enough? Just a little bit more than what I have. We're never satisfied. For some, it's the well of relationships. And this is what we see with this woman. Uh, after this, Jesus says, go get your husband and bring him back. And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't. You've actually had five. And the guy you're with right now isn't your husband. Busted, right? Now, we don't know the context. I mean, maybe a couple of these husbands of hers died. Um, but what we do know is this woman has gone from relationship to relationship. And there's no doubt been a lot of pain and hurt and brokenness and shame. And she's still not satisfied in her relationships. Maybe there's some of you here this morning. That's your well. You go from relationship to relationship, and you're still finding yourself unsatisfied. For some, maybe it's the well of status or your career. And you find the more that you climb the career ladder, the more unsatisfied you are. Or it's the well of stuff. You know, if I could just have the nice house with the nice furniture and the nice vehicle and go on nice vacations, and maybe you get that and you feel good about it for a while, and then you see the new furniture that your neighbor gets or the house that your friend is buying. And you find yourself unsatisfied. For some, it's the well of approval, just always seeking the approval of others. For some, and this is a subversive well, we can make our families our well. We look to our spouse to bring about ultimate satisfaction or we look to our kids to define us. You ever heard someone say, I just worship my kids? It's one of the worst things that we could say. Um, 
Here's the thing. Anything other than Jesus will leave you thirsty, will leave you unsatisfied. And how does Jesus then go about satisfying the deepest longings of our hearts? Well, as was read, uh, the woman conveniently kind of changes the subject. She says, well, obviously you're a prophet, so let's talk about something else. Um, We believe, as Samaritans, that this is where we're supposed to worship, but you Jews believe that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, which is the correct place. And so Jesus engages her in that dialogue, and I love at the end, she's like, well, you know, someday the Messiah is going to show up, and he'll sort this all out for us. And Jesus makes this astonishing statement that to this point in the Gospels we haven't found. He says, I'm, I'm actually the guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been longing for, the one you've been waiting for. Now, he wasn't the kind of Messiah that the Samaritans or the Jews were expecting, but he was so much greater. How does Jesus become our Messiah? How does Jesus rescue us? How does Jesus satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts? Well, Jesus, who lived in perfect relationship with God the Father, became an outsider, became an outcast, was despised and rejected on our behalf so that we could be in perfect, intimate relationship with the Father. Jesus, who gives us living water when he was on the cross, said, I thirst. Jesus became thirsty so that we could be satisfied. And on that cross, Jesus suffered and died. But, but as Father Trevor told us at the beginning of this morning, we are halfway there, friends. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He satisfied the deepest longing of our hearts. He restored us into a relationship with God. And in doing so, he offers us new life. He offers us living water, an abundant, spirit-filled life with him. Because of sin, we are unsatisfied and in deep need. But through his amazing grace, Jesus the Messiah has saved us from sin. And he offers us living water. So Jesus expresses his grace by challenging our mindset, breaking our boundaries. He expresses his grace by satisfying the deepest longing of our soul. And lastly, Jesus propels us into a life of mission. What happens after all this? This rejected, despised, forgotten woman becomes an evangelist. The disciples come back and she leaves her jar behind and she goes into town and begins to tell everyone what happened. The first thing we see is she's bearing witness to Jesus. She goes and she says, come and see. We've heard that language a lot around here. Come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah? And notice, Jesus, he never sends her to go and tell others about him. He never says, okay, now that you've experienced this, I need you to go tell everyone. She just does it. It's the natural response to her experience with Jesus. There's a a Roman Catholic bishop named Robert Barron, and he, he describes what she's doing in this way. He says, Evangelism is one thirsty person telling other thirsty people where to find water. Why? Because this is good news. This is good news. And the same should be true for us. Our natural response to the good news of Jesus should be to share it with others. Think about it this way. Uh, Father Trevor and Pastor Bonnie recently had a baby, which seems to be a popular thing around here. (laughs) 
Um, you know, we're, we're taking like the reproducing of disciples very seriously. Um, but imagine after Trevor and Bonnie welcome August into the world, and maybe the next morning they're, they're at the bed in the hospital and they're just marveling over their baby boy, and a guy comes into the room. He says, hey, congratulations. Um, I'm a chaplain here at the hospital, and I wanted to let you guys know that we're going to have a workshop later today um, on how to share the good news of having a baby. Uh, because I'm sure in the next day, the next week, you're going to want to tell family and friends. Um, and so we want to give you some training, some coaching on how to tell them, maybe some strategies. But Trevor and Bonnie, they're kind people. So they would, they would probably say, hey, we appreciate that. Um, sounds like a great opportunity, but we think we're good. I think we're good. Why? Because they're so overjoyed. Their experience is so great that they just naturally want to tell others. Now, I'm all for evangelism training, and I'm all for helping people better understand the gospel. But as followers of Jesus, we don't need the perfect pitch. We don't need to figure out the best way to market Jesus. We just need to bear witness. We just need to tell our story. I'll be honest, I don't think the woman's sermon was even that good. Come tell me about, or come and see a guy who told me everything about me. That's it? But what do they do? They show up. They come and see. I believe it's next week. We're going to look at uh, the blind man who was healed. One of my favorite articulations of the gospel. You know, the, the religious leaders are asking, hey, who's this Jesus guy? Is he a sinner? And he, finally the guy says, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't really know much about this Jesus guy. All I know is I couldn't see. I met Jesus, and now I can see. That's his story. And any of us who are following Jesus, we have a story. Tell your story. Share your experience. And as we begin to tell others about Jesus, and as we begin to bear witness, people experience Jesus. Here's how the story ends, verses 39 through 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. We know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. They no longer believed because of what the woman had said about Jesus, but because of their experience with Jesus. Isn't this what we ultimately want? We don't just want our friends and families to hear us talk about Jesus. We want them to experience Jesus. I mean, whether it's Trevor or someone else on a Sunday morning, we don't, we don't want people walking out saying, boy, that Trevor, he sure can talk about Jesus. He sure has some interesting things to say. He sure is a good preacher. I mean, maybe he kind of appreciates that. But what does he ultimately want? People walk out saying, I experienced Jesus today. Every Sunday morning, I experience Jesus in a different way when I gather with you all. Sometimes it's when we recite the creed. Sometimes it's when we confess sin. Sometimes it's in a song. Our first Sunday here was the Sunday after Easter. And as Trevor mentioned, um, Becky and I, we had been pastoring a church for about seven years. And uh, this was our first time, like, kind of being on the other side of things. And so we were just kind of feeling disjointed. Um, 
you know, never like been the guy who sits in the chair during a service. And uh, I remember sitting down and um, when I was in college, I, there was this prayer that I learned. I sit down in a chair and Father Trevor gets up and begins, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. And I just began to tear up. Jesus met me in that prayer. We begin to hear about Jesus, and then we experience Jesus. So my hope in prayer is that as we're thinking about people we want to invite to Holy Week, that they would hear about Jesus, that you would share your story with them, but then they'd experience Jesus. And that they, like the Samaritans, might come to the conclusion that this indeed is the Savior of the world. In a few moments, we're going to recite a creed. This is one of the earliest Christian creeds that we have. And it comes out of the mouths of those Samaritans. So wherever you're at, wherever you're at in your life today, this story can be the same for you. This despised, rejected woman discovers the grace of Jesus in her life, is transformed, and then embarks upon this mission of telling others about Jesus and to experience him. The same can be true for us. Jesus longs to satisfy you with living water and then sends you out on a life of mission in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. So I want to close by asking you two questions. Give us two questions to wrestle with. The first is this. What are the empty wells you find yourself going to? What are the empty wells that you find yourself going to? Author and pastor N.T. Wright says this. He says, if you want to take Jesus up on his offer of running pure water bubbling up inside of you, you will have to get rid of the moldy, stagnant water that you've been living off of all this time. What are the wells that you're going to? It's time to leave the jar behind and to follow Jesus and to imbibe on his living water. Jesus will satisfy our Lenten thirst with his Easter water. Which leads to the second question. Have you tasted the living water that Jesus offers? Remember he said to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, if you're walking with Jesus, you, you do know the gift of God. We do know the one before us. Have you asked Jesus for living water? He's our Messiah. He went to the greatest lengths to bring us ultimate satisfaction, to save us from sin, to give us new life, and to send us out on mission. Ask him for living water today. And he will give you a life beyond your wildest imagination. He will fill you with his Holy Spirit. We are a thirsty people who are undeserving of a drink. But God is a gracious God. And in Christ, he offers us supernatural water to satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. So may we cross some boundaries with him. May we follow Jesus, our Messiah, and experience a life on mission with and for him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.